Our gospel reading again this morning is from the 10th chapter of St. Luke. Jesus appointed 70 others beyond his disciples, and he sent them on ahead of him in Paris to every town and place where he himself intended to go. And he said to them, the harvest, it is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go on your own way. See, I'm sending you out like lambs into the midst of wolves, but go and carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Greet no one on the road. Whatever you, house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if anyone is there who shares in peace, your peace will rest on that person. But if not, it will return to you. Remain in the same house, eating, drinking, whatever they provide for the laborer deserves to be paid. Don't move about from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and its people welcome you, eat what is set before you. Cure the sick who are there. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not welcome you, go out into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off and protest against you. Yet know this, the kingdom of God has come near. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So, um, really big news this week. I don't know if you heard about it. Um, pretty exciting stuff that happened. Um, Seinfeld was added to Netflix. Did you, did you catch that? I mean, really big, exciting stuff that happened in our house, at least. I was home for lunch on Tuesday or Wednesday when Matt texted me um, uh, the news and turned... Turn it on before I knew it. I, I, I don't know. I'd watch three episodes or something sitting on the couch. I got to get to work. I thought, raise your hand if you get easily distracted. Yeah, of course. Every now and then, especially. Now, this is going to show my age. I get it. But a classic comic strip when I was young was the Family Circus. Anybody remember the Family Circus? One of the key figures in the Family Circus was a little boy named Billy. You remember Billy? Uh, who was given a simple job to do. Seems like every um, comic strip, no job was ever simple for Billy, however. So, for example, uh, even if it's just taking mail to the mailbox, it should be a route that goes from route from point A to point B. Simple, right? But for Billy... That means the living room, the dining room, the doghouse, throwing a stick, kicking a ball, visiting with friends uh, next door, circling around the house, getting into a race with his neighbor, and then going back to his mom. She's asking, where's the mail? Oh, I forgot the mail, he would say. Distractions. Distractions. The reading that we read today, we have read before. You may remember that we read this uh, portion of Luke's gospel last week. And I want you to think of this passage, especially in terms of distractions that stand in the way. Here's sort of what I mean. Last week, Marvin Moore uh, was our preacher. He did a great job, I thought, of setting up the story and focusing a great deal on Jesus' expectation that we go. So, I want you to take a look at the story again in, in your bulletin or in the Bibles that are, that are there before you or maybe some that you've brought with you. He focused on the expectation that we go. It's not a request, you might remember um, him saying. It's not a recommendation. It's an expectation. Jesus, after all, said, go, which means that to be a follower of Jesus, it means to go into the villages and towns and bear the gospel, to do our very best to, to, to build the kingdom wherever we are called to be, not for our sake, not for our own ego, but for the sake of God and for the sake of this world. Work that's not always easy. You might remember 
uh, Marvin is saying. Sometimes it feels like we're behind a plow and we're tilling into hard soil, sometimes soil that's just, just all just clay, red clay. It's, it's work that's going to require a lot of persistence and strength. It's work that's going to require a lot of determination to not give up, but just to keep on plowing. You might remember the image of his granddad plowing in the fields, right? His, bul- his muscles bulging in his forearms, sweat pouring off of his, of his face. Sometimes the work of the gospel feels like that, but in those moments, don't give up. Keep plowing. So last week we focused on being sent, that Jesus sends us forth on that mission, that we are sent with a purpose, and don't give up, especially, especially when we are alongside those who the world might consider the least of these. All of that was last week, the first three verses of this, of this reading. But today I'd like to take a look at the next two verses which gives us uh, a glimpse, tells us what we're supposed to take when we go. So pull it out again and let's read it together, verses 4 and 5. You ready? Let's read aloud. Carry no purse, no bag, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. Thank you. So, when you go, carry no purse, carry no bag, carry no sandals. Odd, don't you think? We go to the beach every summer with uh, Chris's side of the family early in the summer, and you can imagine 20 or more people in a house takes a lot of organization, takes, requires a lot of planning and organizing, which is what Chris's mom would begin doing months in advance. In, I don't know, January, maybe before January, she would set aside a box, her beach box, and begin to fill that box up uh, with stuff that we would need for that week away, things that you could easily forget if you waited to the very last minute. Of course, that box would become two boxes, three boxes boxes, more than that, whatever it would need. And since we're, we've been going to the beach together for 30 years now, she's got it down to a science. And in fact, it's rare that she forgets anything. I'd be surprised if, if she forgot anything. Now, of course, it's a job that's been taken over by her daughters. Kudos to Carrie and Carla and Krista for taking over that job, beautifully organizing the week away so that everything is in place, so that we have everything that we need while we're gone. Which makes it so odd that Jesus says, but when you go, take nothing, nothing at all. No purse, no bag, sandals, sunglasses, swimsuit, sunscreen, beach chairs, koozies, coolers, nothing at all, he says, which tells me that a trip to the beach with Jesus would not be very fun, right? <laughs> I mean, it's sort of frustrating because you'd never have anything that you need. Odd, except that there is one thing that Jesus says you must take, and that you should take. Verse 5, read that with me again. Verse 5, you ready? Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. In other words, peace. Peace is the one thing that you are to take with you. But what the heck does that mean? The idea of peace shows up in most every language. I would venture to guess that it shows up in every language, at least the concept of peace. 
And we throw the word around quite a bit, don't we? Peace treaties, peace marches, peace time, peacemaker. That word shows up over and over again. If we ask people, my guess, on West Ennis Street today before we came to worship or afterwards to define peace, they'd probably say something like peace is the absence of conflict, peace is the absence of war, something, something like that. And sure enough, when the Bible speaks of peace, it can mean that, absence of conflict, absence of war. But Tim Mackey takes it a step further. He says this, in the Bible, peace also means the presence of something better in its place. Let me say that again. In the Bible, peace also means not just the absence of, but the presence of something better in its place. Here's what I mean. In the Old Testament, the word for peace is shalom. You probably know that word. It's a word that we've learned early, early, and so therefore you know Hebrew, right? Pat yourself on the back. You know a little bit of Hebrew. One of the most important words in the Old Testament. The most basic meaning for shalom is wholeness or completeness, to be whole, to be complete, as in a state of completeness or a state of wholeness. Now, in the Bible, it's interesting because it can refer to a variety of different things. The Hebrew language is a very colorful language. It's much more expansive than, than the English language. It's sort of colorful. It's almost poetic. In the Bible, therefore, it can, shalom itself can refer to a variety of things. So you have to broaden your mind and your understanding of this one particular word. Don't, don't focus, don't obsess over just peace and what you think peace means in, in the English language. But now let's broaden and think. So the Bible, it can refer actually to a tangible object. Like when Joshua made an altar of shalom stone, it was an altar that was made of uncut stone with no blemishes. It can also refer to a stone wall that has no cracks, it has, it has no missing bricks, it is a shalom wall, it, it is complete, it is whole. Shalom also can refer to a person's well-being. So, for example, when David visited, the young boy David visited his brothers out in battle. You remember they were battling the Philistines. And when he, when he went to visit them, he asked them, how is your shalom? Which means, how is your health? How is your welfare? How are you doing? How is your comfort? How is your happiness? How is your well-being? The idea is that, look, you know this. I mean, this has been true since the beginning of time. Life is complex. I mean, life is just complicated, isn't it? I mean, raise your hand if you think life is complicated. It it is. Relationships are complicated. Situations that we find ourselves can be very, very complicated. Life is full of just lots of moving parts. And when any of these moving parts, these parts, these relationships, these situations, whatever it is, when any of them are out of alignment or whenever, whenever they are missing, it means that your shalom has been broken down. Your life is no longer whole. It needs to be restored. Most of us have felt that way at some point in our life or another. Some of you are feeling that way right now, right? Now, the verb form of shalom is, and this won't be a surprise, but to bring shalom, to bring shalom to someone or into a situation, to be an active part of reconciling a relationship that has broken down, for example. Well, another example in the Bible. In, in the Bible, rival kingdoms make, are called to make shalom. God calls and expects them to make shalom with one another. But it doesn't just mean to stop 
fighting with each other, but they are called to start working together for each other's benefit, something that Israel's kings were always supposed to do but rarely happened. Why? Well, because they didn't fully grasp this idea of shalom. They were very limited in their understanding. Perhaps they understood that shalom meant to the absence of conflict, but, but not that shalom meant also the, to add something more and better in its place, right? Which is why the prophet Isaiah looked to a future king when he realized that and saw very clearly that none of Israel's kings were actually following through with God's expectations of bringing shalom to this world. So Isaiah prophesied about a future king who would be the prince of shalom, who would be the prince of peace, a savior figure who would bring shalom that would last not just temporarily, but forever and ever and ever. We know who that is, right? That's Jesus. And you see where we're going, right? So when Jesus says, peace be with you, it's not an empty phrase. Please hear that. It's not just a a, a catchphrase. When Jesus gathers the 70 together and, and he says, take shalom with you, it's not just as a greeting, hey, peace be with you, peace, everybody, peace, no, it's not just a nice thing to say. He says it because he knows that true shalom is the only thing that is going to bring healing to that village. It is the only thing that's going to bring healing to that town. It's the only thing that's going to bring healing and restoration to your life. And here's what you need to know. God has already given you that gift of shalom. Do you believe it? Have you claimed it? I mean, have you sought for it deep within yourself? After all, shalom is a gift of grace given to you by God. Granted, it's a gift that has, had, had been broken at some point, but, 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 but was fully restored through Jesus, who Paul says, uh, reconciled all things unto himself by restoring peace, by restoring shalom through his death and resurrection. That was God's gift to you through through Jesus, who is this Prince of Shalom, this Prince of Peace, this Shalom that comes to you is this gift of Jesus who comes to, to you as well. You see where I'm going with this, right? When Jesus says to take your Shalom with you, He's telling you to first claim the gift that is already yours, to receive the peace that Jesus shares with you, to receive the, the presence of Jesus who goes alongside you, and then to share it freely with others. Because she, shalom is all we need. And, and think about David again. When David, the boy, went into battle with Goliath, it's interesting. King Saul said that, oh my goodness gracious, really? You want to go into battle with Goliath, the giant? Why do you want to do But before you go, you take uh, my armor with you, my helmet, my breastplate, because that's what the world thinks, assumes that you need when you go into battle, when you go into conflict, you must take the tools of war, right? The tools of conflict, a breastplate, a helmet. That's what you need. And so David put on the breastplate and the helmet, and it was way too big for him. It was, it, those were the tools of a man placed upon a boy. David took it off. It was a rather comic scene almost. It was way too big. Instead, David chose to go into battle, into conflict with Goliath only, with five smooth stones and his shalom. And that's all he needed. And that's all you need. 
which begs the question, what do you take when you go? Because you know, right, you're going to be asked to leave this place soon. I mean, you can't, I guess you could stay here all the time if you wanted, but at some point we're going to turn off the lights and lock the doors. And so, you're going to be leaving this place and entering into the week, and you're going to be encountering things that we encounter during the week, relationships, situations, work, family, the neighborhood, whatever challenges and opportunities come before us. What are you taking with you when you go, especially when you face these challenges into this world, into this place of conflict, or whatever you are asked to engage with this week? Are you taking God's shalom? Or are you taking resentment? Are you taking God's shalom or are you taking anger and fear? When you face the anger of others, are you taking God's shalom or are you taking cynicism and jealousy? When, when you face the bigotry that may be around you, are you taking shalom or are you adding to that bigotry and prejudice? When you are entering into the villages and towns of this world, which in modern times means your workplace, your school, your home, your neighborhood, your families, your friendships, into tough situations where you may very very well encounter wolves along the way. Jesus is not sugarcoating it. When you enter into this week, when you leave these doors, this building, you may encounter wolves this week. What are you going to take with you in that encounter? Are you going to take the tools of warfare that this world gives you? Or are you going to take the gift of grace, the gift of shalom, that God has already placed within you. Let me offer a bit of advice straight from the gospel. When you go, you will face discouragement. You will face fear and anger. You will face frustration and rage and fury and prejudice, but know this. Those are distractions. That's all they are. Those are distractions that Satan places before us to keep us from going on our path, our journey of bearing the gospel of love for the sake of this world. You realize that? Those are distractions. Don't let distractions get in your way. Jesus says, don't let it happen. Wipe that dust off your feet and move on. Don't be distracted from your mission which is to bear shalom wherever you go. Don't let anything stand in your way. Briefly, when the people of Israel were in the middle of the wilderness, life was tough. It was challenging. Folks were, were just really getting frustrated. They were turning against their leader, Moses, right? And in that moment, the Lord gave Moses a blessing to share with his brother Aaron. And it is this blessing, a blessing you've heard over and over again. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you what? Peace. The Lord give you shalom. The Lord has already given you shalom. In other words, Aaron, don't forget that you've already been given the Lord's shalom to this day. And this is fascinating. To this day, that blessing is the oldest known fragment of biblical text that we have in this world. 
It's a fragment found in 1979. It's no more than the size of, I don't know, a, a cigarette. It's small, a tiny little fragment of, I guess, on papyrus or something. It's all we have. And it was found in a collapsed tomb outside the old city of Jerusalem. Archaeologists have dated the fragment to the 7th century B.C., which is 700 years before Christ. It's incredible, isn't it? That the oldest known fragment from Scripture is the powerful and beautiful reminder that the Lord has given us all we need to help restore this world and our lives. His shalom. As we walk into this week, may we freely give what has been freely given to us. Amen.